got your Bible with you, open up again with me to Ephesians chapter 1. I'm going to give you a couple of readings or a couple of verses from, uh, from the book. Because believe it or not, we are going to do the whole book of Ephesians in one go. Six, six chapters. So we'll, we'll, we'll see how that, that moves. All right, pull up the first one for me, please, Audrey. And just a reminder, so just stay with me here. We're just going to take a couple of scriptures as we go through, and we're going to pull the whole lot together for you in, uh, in one blessed uh, unit, I hope. So Ephesians 1.3 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And we saw some of those as we went through those first 11 verses. Go across with me to chapter 2. One to five. See, as for you, Christian, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time. We were gratifying the cravings of our flesh and we were following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace and grace alone that you have been saved. Next, chapter 3. Verse 20 and 21, the very end of the chapter. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is, with, is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. As a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children. And walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And in our final passage, peace to the brothers and sisters and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. Pray with me, and uh, we're going to start together. Just pray, Father, this morning that, that, that all that we hear and all that we see coming out of your word this morning, that, that, that all that you've done for us through your Son in Jesus is all of grace and grace alone. I, 
I pray that you would so encourage our hearts, our spirits, our souls. I pray that you would so speak to us. I pray you'd so thrill us and, and, and give us a response of gratitude and praise and worship to you. And I pray that we would be so filled up with so much blessing, that we'd, all, we'd have such a bloated blessing this morning. And I would pray for anybody here this morning that does not know you, that has not yet bowed the knee to the Lord Jesus Christ, that if they would but come to Jesus and receive him, that they would receive all your grace, your eternal grace. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, won't you put up that slide for me? Right, there is a, there is a title for you, Graced by Love. Graced by Love. And as I said earlier, believe it or not, I am going to attempt to do six chapters of Ephesians in about 30 minutes. I'm not sure if it's possible, but we'll, we'll have a go. Are you therefore in danger of spiritual indigestion? Absolutely. But what I'm hoping is that you're actually going to have a bloated blessing, if I may use such a phrase this morning. I know bloated normally goes with Christmas and New Year, right? But after what you're about to get, what you're about to receive, what you're about to see, that you're going to feel fairly bloated, but in a, in a, in a good way. So let's uh, start here. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, Ephesians 1, 3, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. So Christian, I want you to know, first of all this morning, you are absolutely blessed out of your socks. Did you know that? Some of you are not wearing socks. You are blessed out of your sandals if you're not wearing socks. Christians have this, this bloated blessing beyond anything that they can comprehend. But in order to try and get at what this word blessed means, I want to use the word graced. Graced. I'll explain why in a moment. So let me translate the same verse in this way and see if you can just pick up the nuance. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has graced us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual grace in Christ. And here's the reason. When you hear the word blessing, I think in its modern day use, I think it, it's very easy to sort of have it implied that I'm blessed because of something that I've, that I've done. And this word blessed is so easily misunderstood. I don't know if you remember last year that fateful comment of our previous Prime Minister, Scott Morrison. He was talking to a woman who had a disabled child and he said to her, I'm so blessed that I don't have a disabled child. It went down so badly. I think we understood what he meant, but it was, it was confusing. Grace, as Philip Yancey says, is the last best word. Because the word grace is, is the quintessential word that captures the very essence of the good news. To say that you are blessed is to say that you are graced. To be graced is to have all of God's kindness, all of God's goodness, all of God's mercy poured out upon you because of nothing that you deserve. And we know that the word blessing actually is connected to the word grace or graced because the word grace is used at least 11 times in the book of Ephesians. Let me just give you a couple of examples. Chapter 1, verse 6 
to the praise of His glorious grace. Chapter 1, verse 8, in accordance with the riches of God's grace. For it is by grace that you've been saved. Chapter 2, verse 8. If you've got your Bible, look at the very start of the book. Chapter 1, verse 2. Grace and peace to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Go to the very end of the book. Chapter 6, 24. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. Christian, in Christ, you have been so graced. And there is nothing but nothing you can do except to respond with an undying love for Jesus. You remember the, the, the questions, the three questions that Peter asked, Jesus asked Peter after the resurrection, John 21. You remember them, don't you? Peter, do you? Love me. Peter, do you? Love me. Peter, do you really love me? Christian, do you really love Jesus? Do you love him? Do you really love him? See, right at the start of this year, one week, and I want us this morning to spend a few minutes savoring just how graced you are in Christ. And again, that if you're not a Christian here this morning, that you would know just how much grace would come to you if you would but come to Him and receive Him as your Lord and Savior. How do you get through six chapters in about 30 minutes? You do it slowly. Um, but you do it in stepping stones. So what we're going to do, we're going to do some stepping stones. We're going to step on a passage and we're going we're to maybe stand on that precious stone for a minute or two and then we're going to move on and we're just going to do these stepping stones as we go through the book of Ephesians. And I'll give you a couple of headings as we go. So here we go, the grace-filled life. All the scriptures will come up on the screen. You're going to see it's going to be fairly rapid fire. The grace-filled life. So again, just focus on 1-3. Blessed or graced are we with every spiritual grace in Christ. Again, nothing of what you've done, but all because of Christ. And here's what this means. It means that there is no grace apart from Jesus Christ. There, the, the grace that we're talking about, it's not to be had in anyone else. Maybe this last year you got a grace on an exam, a grace extension. Maybe you got some grace if you were stopped by a speed cop and he let you off your ticket. But the grace that you are about to see is beyond anything you can imagine and is not found in anyone else except Jesus. So just how graced are you, Christian? Here's our first stepping step. Chosen, chapter 1, verse 4, Chosen him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Now you need to stop and stand on the stone. What that means, Christian, is that grace did not begin the moment you were saved. Christian, your grace began before the foundation of the earth. Before God said, let there be light, you were graced, you were chosen. 
You were predestined to receive the righteousness of Christ. To be holy and blameless in His sight means to stand righteous, to stand acquitted for all your sin because of the righteousness that Christ has given you. Christians don't know that they were chosen before they were saved. You don't ever hear a Christian say, well, I'm chosen, so I'm going to get saved. It doesn't work that way. It, you, 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 you get saved, and then you come to realize that actually I was chosen to be saved. He chose to save me before the, the foundation of the earth. It's a chosen grace. Let's go to the next stepping stone. Chapter 1, verse 5. We were graced because we are adopted to be sons and daughters of the Father. Christians are sons and daughters of the Heavenly Father. Orphans don't choose their parents. Parents choose their adopted children. To be graced is to know God as your Heavenly Father, as Abba, as Daddy, as Papa, if you like. But grace is grace upon grace, and it's grace on tap, if I can use another expression by, by Philip Yancey, because in chapter 1, verse 7, we're told that we are redeemed and we are forgiven according to the riches of His grace. We said earlier, to be redeemed means to simply be bought out of, of slavery to sin. And forgiveness means that all my sins have been forgiven. All my offenses against a holy God are forgiven. The past, the present, and the future. All because of Christ. All because of what I, He has done for us at the cross. That's why we sing all glory be to Christ. But we just get going. So next stone, chapter 113, we were, we were included in Christ and we were sealed with the Spirit. Now when it says we're included in Christ, that in Christ is slightly different to the one in chapter 3, uh, 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 chapter 1 verse 3. In Christ, in 1.3 it means because of Christ. In 1.13 Included in Christ means that we have been joined together with Jesus. We've been united to Him. To be a Christian is not someone that has merely been saved. To be a Christian is not someone that's merely been redeemed. To be a Christian is not someone that's merely been bought out of slavery. Someone that has merely been forgiven all their sins. You have been redeemed and saved in order to be united to, joined to, in union, in one with Christ. That's the only reason why we can sing, I am His and He is mine. If you look at 1.13, we were sealed. When we believed, we received the, 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 the Spirit. And it's the Spirit of Christ living in us that joins us together with Him. The richest analogy that we can use to explain this is the one in the Bible. So let me show you something. We go all the way back to Genesis 2.24. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and the two become one flesh. That verse is about marriage, of course. It's not primarily about marriage. And because we've actually elevated marriage to something it shouldn't be, we come up with all sorts of weird and wacky things around marriage and divorce. That's another sermon. 
that verse is about marriage, but it's primarily about the marriage of someone else to someone else. Why? Because Jesus said everything in the Old Testament is about me. It's about me and my church. It's about me and my people. So when I look at Genesis 2.24, this is the first promise of Christ saying that He will come one day and He will unite Himself to His bride. He will come and live for His bride, die for His bride, rise for His bride, ascend for His bride, fill them with His Spirit, join them to Himself, and then come back and fetch them one day. Genesis 2.24 is about the marriage union of Christ to His church. And we know that's true because the book of Ephesians tells us exactly the same thing. Quotes Ephesians 5.31, quotes Genesis 2.24, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery. I am talking about Christ and the church. You realize marriage is not ultimate. It's not ultimate. But it is a profound picture. It's a profound taste. It's a profound promise that Jesus would come one day and unite himself to his bride, to his people. To those he chose to redeem, those he chose to forgive, chose to adopt, chose to make righteous before the foundation of the earth, he came to marry himself to them. We step on to chapter 2, verse 5. And the grace keeps on flowing because we are told that God made us alive in Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. Do you understand, Christian, that before you were a Christian, you were absolutely dead to God? Dead. It means you could, not, you could not have any form of relationship with God because of your sin. You were completely separated from Him. Your sinfulness brought nothing but the judgment of God. But in His extraordinary kindness and mercy, He raised your soul from the dead and He gave you a living relationship with Christ. See, Christianity, it's not a, it's not a religious thing. It's not a moral thing. It's not a religious institution thing. It's not a religious denominational thing. Christianity is a living relationship with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Jesus said this, this is eternal life, John 17, 3. To know you, Father, and to know Jesus Christ, whom you sent. But here is a beautiful grace. Chapter 2, verse 10 of Ephesians, it says, For we are God's workmanship, created for good words. In the... Uh, in the New Living Translation, it says that we are, we, are, um, we are God's masterpieces prepared to do good works. Do you know, Christian, that we are so graced that God even chose the very godly works for us that we are going to do? We're going to see what they are in just a moment. But understand this, to be graced, is also to be given both the power and the ability to live the life of grace that God has called you to live. 
But I want to step on one more. Have a look at it in chapter 3, verse 6. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs to God, together with Israel, members together of one body, and shares together in the promise in Christ Jesus. The grace of God is that we've been saved into a body that comprises people of every tongue, tribe, and nation. We are brothers and sisters of people of every color, creed, and country. This is the glory of the church for which Christ died. Let me say that again. This is the glory of the church for which Christ died. Which is why at the end of the chapter, chapter 3, verse 21, Paul sort of goes out in exclamation. He says, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. I grew up as an only child, but our Father did not, our Heavenly Father did not adopt you and me as only children. He adopted so many children from different human mothers and fathers across all racial lines into one body, into one church, into one family. And that's why it says this in Revelation 21, 26, that the glory and the honor of the nations will be brought into it. The glory of the nations, the diversity of the nations, people of every color, tribe and country and tongue and all that, all going to be coming into the, into the new heavens and the new earth which we will enjoy together. So eternal life is life with our God in glory with multicolored, multi-ethnic, multinational, multicultural people from every part of the planet. Now, that's part A, three chapters. Paul has taken three chapters to pour out every grace upon grace that we receive in Christ. And I want you to understand something, Christian, this morning. You cannot do something sinful to lose your gracedness. You can't stuff it up. You can't sin it away. There is nothing you can do, Christian, to separate you from the grace in Christ. All the graces, they are yours. That's why we sing, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Let me put it this way. The Father will never ungrace you. You may have been rejected by an earthly parent. Your heavenly Father will never do that. You may have been disinherited by an earthly parent. The Father in heaven will never disinherit you. Jesus will never unsave you. He will never unredeem you. He will never de-orphan you. He, he will never unforgive you. He will never unchoose you. He will never unpredestine you. You might be divorced in this life, but Jesus Christ will never divorce you, His bride. God can't unreborn you. He can't take His Holy Spirit from you. Being graced upon grace is not just receiving all the graces in Christ, but it's receiving them forever. And you can't stuff them up. You can't mess them up. So, 
What does that mean? That which is poured in has got to go where? If it goes in, it's got to, it's got to come out, right? So what's poured in has got to come out. So it's like this. It, what, what does the grace-filled life look like? What does the grace-filled life look like when it's poured out? Or put it another way, what, what, what does the grace-filled life look like when you live it? And look what he says now. Chapter 4, verse 1, Therefore I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. You could write it like this. Live, this is Christian, live a life worthy of the graces you've received. In view of how much grace has been poured into you, live it out. What does that look like? Follow with me on the screen. Here's what a grace poured out life looks like. Chapter 4, verse 2, be completely humble, gentle, be patient, bearing with one, in, with one another in love. A poured out grace life looks like humility. It looks like gentleness. It looks like patience. It looks like tolerance. Chapter 4, verse 3, we're told to make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. Because of the unity of the Spirit that we have, the grace of the Spirit in us, joined to Christ, make every effort to stay in grace and unity with your brothers and sisters. What does a grace poured out life look like? It, it, it looks like putting off falsehood. It means putting away lies. It's, it's, it means speaking the truth. It looks like not sinning in your anger. It looks like not letting unwholesome language and filthy talk come out of your mouth. It looks like not acting out on your negative emotions. It looks like getting rid of all brawling and malice and anger and, and, and rage and every kind of... of, of of violence. It looks like being kind. It looks like being compassionate. It looks like being forgiving. A graced life looks like imitating God. It means being like Him. It's, it's a life of love. It's a pursuit of sexual purity. A grace poured out life means not to be in partnership with unbelievers. And we're going to have a look at that in the next couple of weeks, what that looks like in, in some detail. But chapter 5, verse 9 is a beautiful verse. It looks like goodness. It looks like righteousness. It looks like truth. A poured out life means that you, you keep seeking to understand what the, what the will of the Lord is. And in response, it is giving thanks to God for everything. Now, as you look at that grace poured out, here's just something I want you to see for just a moment. I want you to notice that every single one of those godly, gracious characteristics, they can all be directly tied to the very character of Christ. Let me give an example or two. Be humble. Why? 
because Christ humbled himself for us. Ultimately, where? At the cross. Be gentle. Be, why? Because Jesus was, was he's gentle in heart. His very nature is, is gentle. Why be compassionate? Because he, he, he was compassionate towards us. Why speak the truth? It's because Jesus Christ is the truth. Why let your words always be seasoned with salt and full of grace? Look at this verse in Luke 4.22. This is what they said of Jesus in the way that he spoke. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Why be good? Why be righteous? Why be truthful? Because those things are the fruit of life. Chapter 5, verse 9. They're the fruit of light and Jesus is light. Let me put this one other way. The grace poured out life is the life of the Spirit, isn't it? When you received, or when you believed, you received the Holy Spirit. And you remember this verse, don't you? But the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. and self-control. Grace poured in. Grace poured out. Let me take you to a third heading. Let me ask you this question. Why this graced life for you? Why did the Father choose to give you His grace and choose you to live a life of grace and choose you to enjoy a life of grace in eternity? Why you? What was His reason? Do you see it? Somebody tell me what those two words are before I put a, a razor, a laser around them. Do you see it? So why did he choose you for grace? Because he, he loved you. But why you? Christian, why you? Because he loved you. Uh, why did he choose to love me? Because he chose to love you. Does that make sense? Let me say it again. I, I, I'm not sure it's gone in there yet. Why did he choose you? Because he loved you. Why did he love you? Because he chose to love you. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. You see that? You see the past of it? You see that? Bring it into the present. Revelation 1.5. To him who loves us. There's the, there's the present. Christian, he chose to love you. He chose to grace you. He chose you for a grace-filled life. He chose you for a grace-poured-out life. Because he chose to love you.
How do you apply that? What does a grace-applied life look like? All I can do, my brother and sister, this morning is ask you to pause and to ponder. Would you stop? And would you ponder what this book says to us? If you took nothing else that God chose to love me, if that's all you took home this morning, You'd sit on it like a hen on an egg for the rest of your life until it hatches. It will hatch. You know what it'll do? It'll hatch a grace poured out life. That's what it will do. You are so loved by the Father, therefore graced upon grace to live a grace life to be consummated in glory. Stop. Pause, ponder, meditate, contemplate. I'm not sure if the word ruminate is the right word, because that means you all be cows. But that's okay. Ruminate. But now, here's the main application of the book. The main application of the book is actually prayer. I'm going to show you. Because what happens through the book of Ephesians is Paul prays right through the book. Let me show you four very brief prayers. Three from Ephesians, one from Philippians. Here's the first one. Here's how he prays. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance, grace in his holy people. Listen. If God has poured out grace upon grace upon grace upon grace and it's glory, I mean it's grace now and it's grace then, it's going to be consummated. What does Paul pray? God, open up the eyes of your heart so that your people may know it more. Open my eyes, Lord. Let me see the, let me see the grace more and more and more. Let me, let me see what you have in store for me. Let me see what's waiting for me. Here's Brother and sister, pray for you, pray for me, pray for us that we would have our eyes opened to know more of the grace that we have, that we had, that we will have. Pray. Would you do that? Would you pray? Here's the second one. Oh, that's going a bit weird. Try and read it. End of verse 17, and I pray that you may be being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all of the Lord's people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love which surpasses knowledge. All right, brothers and sisters, if God chose to love you and he chose to love you before the foundation of the earth, if he, if he chose to love you the thing that you need to know is you need to know that more and more. You need to have God open up your heart that, you, that He know how much 
How wide and deep and long and high is the love of God in Christ for us. That's what we need. And only God can give that to us. Only God can grow that in us. Would you pray? Pray for you. Pray for me. Pray for us. Oh God, that we would know how much you love us. That it was a chosen love, a predestined love. Because that love is a love that is beyond knowledge. It's beyond human understanding. It's a, it is the supernatural love of the Father for His children in Christ. And that's what we need. In Ephesians 6, says Paul's, is it, now remember Paul's in jail, right? Do, do you know how the Apostle Paul survives jail just about every week in the, in the, in the New Testament? survives jail because he knows how much he's loved. Pray for me that whenever I speak, words may be given so that I may fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I'm an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Uh, brother and sister, how on earth do you keep this love to yourself? How on earth do you do that? If you know what grace you have in Christ, how on earth do you sit on your mouth? How do you do that? This verse should really be the life verse of every single Christian in this place. Paul says, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Won't you pray for you? Won't you pray for me? Won't you pray for us that we would fearlessly, boldly, humbly, graciously proclaim the love of God in Christ Jesus, the good news. And here's the fourth one. And this is beautiful. I'm going to give it to you in the, in the NLT, New Living Translation. It's really a prayer in Philippians 1. He says, may you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation. What's the fruit of your salvation? The righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ. For this will bring much glory and praise to God. Pray for you. Pray for me. Pray for us. That the righteous character of Christ will be produced more and more in us. Poured out to the praise and the glory Of Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? Father, please open the eyes of our hearts to see the grace upon grace upon grace upon grace that is ours in your sight. Open our eyes. 
Open our eyes to see how much you love us in Christ. Please, would you open up our eyes to see the hope of the glory of grace that is coming for us. And oh, that you would so stir in us a passion for people to, to, to proclaim to them the good news of your grace in Jesus Christ. But I would pray more than anything else as well that you would, you would just stop us this morning, you would stand us this morning, you would pause us this morning and we would, we would do nothing but ponder your loving grace to us in your Son. We are, we are graced by love. Oh, please, please, Father, Open the eyes of our hearts to see it more, to know it more, and by your power to live it before an unbelieving world. I pray again that if it be someone here this morning who does not know your grace, that they would see what is offered to them in your Son. Would they come to Jesus this morning responding in repentance and responding in faith? In Jesus' name, amen.